You're listening to the Let's Talk Strata podcast hosted by Mark Mercier. Whether you're a tenant, lot owner, caretaker or industry professional, this podcast is for anyone connected with a body corporate or strata title. Tune in every fortnight to hear thought-provoking discussions with industry leaders and experts on topics both practical and technical that will spark your interest. Welcome again to the Let's Talk Strata podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you cutting-edge views from pinnacle industry experts on all things strata in Queensland. Today, our special guest is Derek Walker. Derek is a strata educator, facilitator at RMIT University. Now, just a little bit about Derek. Derek is a strata management consultant, course developer and facilitator at RMIT University with 16 years of combined industry experience, 13 of which has been spent as managing director in strata management. Entering the industry at the age of 21 in 2003 provided a unique opportunity for Derek to experience both the old ways and methods of strata management, as well as the transition to the modern strata management models as it's known today. With a passion for the industry and extensive experience, Derek seeks to use knowledge and experiences gained at the coalface to bring relevance and effectiveness to vocational training for the next generation of strata managers. We're very pleased to have you on board, Derek. Uh, It's a great pleasure to have you today. Thanks for having me, Mark. Now, what does your role look like at RMIT as it relates to strata? Sure. So primarily at this time, I'm dealing directly with all of the managers that are going through the Certificate 4 program. So at this stage, we're dealing with managers that are working in the industry that are Mm -hmm. coming on board to undertake the program. uh, And as they go through, they'll deal with me. And uh, I see my role as... Uh, the person giving context on the ground context to what they're doing and so when we're going through a different subject matter um, I see my role as sort of expanding and giving colour to the technical criteria in the program. And that's going to expand even further with the uh, proposed legislative changes isn't it? Oh indeed, indeed. As we know in strata the sands are always shifting as far as legislation. Mm. I'd say the sand isn't just shifting, but it's expanding. Yeah. Uh, and so, without a doubt, there's a major focus on legislation. That being said, with the industry background that I have, I've got a major focus on the practical aspects of being a strata manager as well mm. as the legislative. And one of the things I commonly say to strata managers is you need to know where to go in the legislation to find the information that you need, but you need to know where the line is about giving legal advice yeah absolutely and so as i said you don't need to memorize the legislation but you need to know how to navigate it Mm. to find what you need and know where that line is where if you're going too far don't give legal advice that's when we need to come to someone like to get legal advice so how much case law actually comes into it from that perspective then at this stage the certificate for uh, where it sits in the qualifications framework um, it sits if you think in terms of people that are looking to change industries to come into strata or to you know coming out of high school someone saying well what industry do I want to work in it's something around that level there so at this stage there's not a lot of case law embedded in there we look at the form and function of legislation uh, we look at protocols within the tribunal and the commissioner's office and how these different areas work what the main functions are and what a manager needs to know but we always point back to that need to refer to lawyers for mm. specific case law and things along those lines so it's not a law degree it's not higher education mm. and that key aspect is knowing who to go to yeah to find the information that you need and because there's that clear line in the sand where a manager shouldn't stray beyond their 
contracted role, responsibilities mm. and duties. And so that's always that key point is there is definitely many aspects of case law that affect strata managers' operations on a daily basis, but I'd suggest that's straying into someone like Frank Hickinson's mm. expertise to, yeah. to help. And it's often a, a difficult thing to really determine when you're at the coalface of it as a strata manager to really determine, okay, well, what point am I crossing that boundary? How far do I go before this needs to be referred on? And of course, any referral requires money to refer it on to a lawyer. So at what point does the manager step back? And that's a line. Admittedly, earlier in my career, I probably crossed and I shouldn't have done so. Uh, And luckily, uh, it never resulted in anything bad happening. But I just reflect on in my earlier days when I was in my early 20s, just out of the best of intentions, wanting to help my clients, I'm going a bit further than I should have Mm -hmm. to assist them. But in retrospect, and looking at the way the risk profile is for the industry now, managers need to be very aware. But as far as where that line sits, looking at it from a very analytical point of view, I believe that managers can point their clients to the legislation and the relevant sections. When it comes to interpreting words in the legislation, for me, that's a red flag to say, Mm. this is the time to speak to a lawyer. And that's when the the idea around case law and precedence um, through the courts might come in. But no interpretation by managers, essentially, unless they're a lawyer. Mm. Um, I think that reading the black and white as it stands is vital, but no more than that. The risk is far too great for giving the incorrect advice to your clients. It's fraught with um, danger uh, from liability perspective. Um, but some of the legislation is complicated, isn't it? If you look at, say, the legislation that revolves around how to determine the financial year start date uh, mm. for a body corporate when it's up and running, a lot of strata managers actually assist developers in getting bodies, corporates up and running. Those That's one example, but there's many examples of provisions that are quite complicated. How does a manager get around even trying to even point to that and make some sense of it not intending to be a plug but i'd point them to your textbook right (laughs) that can be a key guide that was really the first reason for our our paths to cross yeah and knowing the need for that navigational guide for people working in the industry because it is just so broad and having worked in the position that i have dealing with managers across the country uh, even in new zealand there is no doubt that Queensland has the most extensive regulations, legislation, pretty much in all regards. And mm-hmm. there are many things that are being done right, but the prescriptive nature of the legislation sets a lot of pitfalls, potentially, if you don't set a foot right. And so coming back to that earlier point, if you know in black and white where in the legislation the requirements are around committee nominations, AGM procedures, yeah. so on and so forth, it's straightforward. Uh, but as soon as you can't find what you need, maybe there's another red flag, yeah. try as you may to dig through. You might even refer to your textbook yeah. and still yeah. not be able to navigate to find what you need. Mm-hmm. Once again, a red flag to go to someone more senior within yeah. your office yeah. or consider consulting a lawyer. Now, you've got a unique blend of practice in body corporate management and education, and um, for that, I do believe our MIT is really lucky to have you, particularly when you're working through with the upcoming managers. Um, What are some of the challenges for a new manager coming through? What do they need to focus on? Is it getting their head around the legislation, around the practice aspect, around the technology? There's so many facets to it. And I think there are different views on this. So looking at, you can look at the individual new managers experience in the workplace and you can zoom out and look at the industry overall to see what's happening Mm. that's affecting people that are already working within or wanting to the industry and there's a lot to it uh, and there's a lot going on from many directions Um, and I'd suggest at the moment we at least now have some sort of clear pathway 
for entry into the industry, which mm. didn't exist before. So not many to hard sell the cert for. Mm. The one thing it's giving us is some specific training on key aspects of being a manager. And previously, there was a certificate for in property operations, which still exists. And my take was that it wasn't quite specific enough as far as what's happening on the ground for managers. Mm. Whereas in this new training package, you're looking at what goes into minutes. How do you read a financial statement? How do you pull together a budget proposal? When you're looking at insurances, what's the framework under the Act as far as what insurances are required? How do valuations work? What's the the need and the requirement? Mm. And then how to claim process. It's all that on-the-ground stuff that I'm really quite keen on. Um, That's in the program that's helping to upskill these new people entering the industry. And I'm not sure if I ever got around to actually answering your original question. Oh, look, (laughs) based on what you're saying then, though, it really harps back on best practice too, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you want managers in the industry to be representative of a body of professionals that has a certain high level of practice Mm. and that practice gets delivered to the client, which is the body corporate, which is the lot owner, the occupier. So the Cert 4 that you coordinate Mm. and you deliver and you work with uh, expanding and constantly improving, Mm. that's one stable platform that managers can have to launch into a career into body corporate management. That didn't previously exist. Which didn't previously exist. Yeah, and that's the point that I make. And I think when we were queuing up this podcast, Mm. one of the points that I made is I feel like even though my entry in terms of years wasn't that long ago, 2003, there's been a seismic change over that time in respect to everything in the industry. And one of the basic ones back then is there was no way of learning how to be a strata manager in 2003, Mm. even 2010, 2012. It's only through the introduction of this program there is now outside of what's being provided by the peak industry body, SCA. And again, they're doing the best job they can. They're doing a great job Mm -hmm. with the A100. There's been no formal pathway outside of that for anyone to learn how do I become a strata manager and there's an enormous need there. I think that the data that came through, Hazel East Thorpes, she uh, undertook a study, and I believe that there's 4,000 operating strata managers today. There's something in the order of two and a half million lots nationwide. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and divide 4,000 managers, and I'm not sure if that 4,000 includes support staff. So mm. divide, the, divide the numbers, look how yep. many buildings need to be managed. Yep. Um, the risk profile is something I'd like to get into in more detail a bit later on, but look at yeah. the risk profiles and all of those aspects. And to have no clear pathway boggles the mind. Mm. Um, And something I've heard previously on this podcast, the Mm. discussion around will real estate have training and licensing? When you look at the value of these assets, which far outweighs any transaction in the real estate space, Mm -hmm. why is there nothing there? And and what risks does that pose for the industry and for the people living in these communities? Absolutely. And uh, I think in our discussions uh, previously, uh, we've talked about the, the issue of licensing. I personally am a very big advocate for introducing a licensing regime and having a body that can actually undertake disciplinary action in a formal way that uh, body corporate managers can then have some form of formal license they've had to jump through a lot of hoops to get and there's serious consequences for not following particular ground rules on how much like lawyers and accountants have. What do you think are the challenges to perhaps introducing some kind of a regime like that in Queensland? Uh, the lack of uniformity in national legislation, and we were briefly mentioning when we were chatting before this podcast mm. started, I would love to see a solution. I would mm. love to see some amount of uniformity in the national approach to how strata 
operates. In all practicality, I don't see it happening. I imagine there would need to be some sort of federal intervention for that to be the case. And again, looking at that national view of how everyone's operating, Queensland not only has the most extensive requirements, but I would say as far as the eastern states, they're probably Mm. the biggest outlier as far as their systems and processes. And management rights is a really good example. And it's really a a beast. And I don't know enough about the history, but it Mm. appears to be a beast that was born out of service paradise primarily. Mm. And I was reading that in in Victoria, I believe there's 40. There's 40 lots of management rights in Victoria. And I'm not sure the number in Queensland, but it's it's a lot more than that. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so and it, so when you're t- looking at this picture of what's needed to license managers, the the cert for is an enormous piece of that. So it's re- mm-hmm. the one thing is I'm really excited that the industry has been screaming out for a pathway for such a long time. Ever since I've been in the industry, we now have that foundational building block to lead towards licensing. Mm. The second part of that is everyone's doing their own thing in each state at the moment. Just look at the most basic level, look at the terminology of what a strata scheme is deemed. In delivering the program, there are certain things we need to look at. How can we talk about some subjects that is relevant to everyone? There are areas where we drill down state by state and there are other areas where there are are commonalities that that are shared. Strata scheme is one that we use. So we refer Mm. to all of the entities as strata schemes uh, and if you look at all of the states, I know that Queensland's still body corporate, mm. and New South Wales has come across to owners corporation and Victoria. Tasmania's still body corporate. In Western Australia, they've just introduced new legislation, which I think it's community scheme, and it's 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 these basic things. These are the sorts of things I enjoy communicating with the clients about. Yeah. Not clients, sorry. I'm, I'm, you can tell that I've worked in Strata for a long time. Yeah. Students. Students. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting in coming as a as a Mexican into Queensland. I now live in Queensland. Right. One of the things I liked about the changes in Victoria in 2006, and it's a really basic thing, was the terminology, mm-hmm. owner's corporation. And, yeah. and the reason for that is body corporate didn't mean anything to anyone. So I think in Queensland there's a lot of awareness around bodies corporate. But in Victoria, I remember early in my career, probably the first 10 years, if someone asked what I did, I'd say I'm a body corporate manager, and they'd say, oh, what? And you'd still get those calls where people call into the office and they say, are you my body corporate? And I say, well, no, I'm the, I'm the manager for the body corporate. <laughs> and so coming back to the, the terminology discussion, I understand that the driver behind the change to owners corporation was to help with the general public's understanding of what the entity is. It's a, yeah. it's a corporation consisting of owners. They drive their own vehicle, whereas the terminology body corporate to the layperson just didn't mean much. It's an interesting uh, thing uh, discussing terminology because tax laws will, will talk about body corporate. Mm. Owners corporation is very easy to confuse if you're not used to that you think corporate uh, Mm. you think company Mm. Uh, so I guess unifying common language Mm. and terminology is a big step forwards I guess you're involved with looking at um, cross-jurisdictional strata laws Mm. here what are some of the observations in in relation to national standards operations and and those idiosyncrasies there that you see well uh, that's uh, and at the foundation is what we just spoke about which Mm. is the terminology and having that national view I believe that and with my industry background I'm getting a really good idea around what's working what systems and processes are working for strata schemes and what isn't to just give some basic examples without a doubt sinking funds and yeah. to a queenslander that might, might seem like a strange item to raise because you're like well of course everyone has sinking mm-hmm. funds but no they don't mm-hmm. um, sinking funds something that is only being undertaken in new south wales queensland in victoria there's a requirement for a maintenance plan and sinking fund if an owner's corporation has an approved maintenance plan, but there is no requirement to approve a maintenance plan. Mm. So, the, and, and I'm probably getting down into too much detail here, mm. but my view as a manager was always, 
a prescribed owners corporation, that being over the designated limit under the Act, they're required to have a sinking fund and maintenance plans. Some mm-hmm. strata managers, maybe looking to cut corners, will say, yeah. well, they haven't approved the maintenance plan, so there's no need to have a maintenance plan. Yeah. But again, I'm probably getting a bit off the subject. Western Australia has moved across to mm-hmm. maintenance funds and mm-hmm. sinking plans as well. That's one key example where if you look at the risk profile I discussed earlier and the pure value of maintenance and repair in these enormous buildings, it is staggering. And so Mm. to think that any high-rise could proceed without any planned maintenance funding or maintenance plans absolutely blows my mind. I mean, you know, these high-rises now, it's possible to have a $1 billion insured value for Mm. loss for the biggest ones. Yeah. And to think if a building like that existed in Tasmania, where there's no sinking fund requirement, there's nothing requiring them to go down that path of planning for their maintenance. Yes, it's an interesting risk mitigation factor that's been embedded in the legislation here in Queensland, and one that I think the other states could very well adopt Mm. uh, for that same reason Mm. there. And look, I'm keeping on the side just a little list as I I work through in the program I come across things and experiences from managers I'm just keeping like a little note of Mm. all of these major topics in the industry around what everyone's doing and as I said sinking funds is the first one that comes to mind because Mm. it deals with likely the biggest outside of insurance the biggest risks facing people living in these communities and it's one good example if we could somehow bring everyone together which again i'm skeptical of it ever happening i would love Mm. to see it happen that is number one on the list is plan maintenance where you set the requirement for maintenance plans and sinking funds is another interesting discussion yeah so and again in queensland with the exception of two lot schemes sinking funds are a requirement yeah and in victoria they've said prescribed owners corporations uh, which again I need to check the act I believe it's uh, more than 100 lots Mm. um, or uh, revenue above $200,000 a year they're required to undertake maintenance plan sinking fund Mm. with that note before they must approve the plan but that depends on your intake as a manager and then it requires valuations and auditing of financial statements so Mm. there's more there's more triggers and there's another example of something I've seen across the country that works well and would help deal with Queensland's cumbersome legislation Mm. is having a single body of law that is multi-tiered within itself. So instead of having a different body of law like we do here, the different modules, uh, what the way that Western Australia, New South Wales and Victoria have proceeded is to say the requirement is ABC. If, for example, I'll just throw around random numbers, if you're below mm. 50 lots, you have to do ABC and D. If you're above 50 lots, then the requirements are more stringent. And it, all, and yep. it makes sense to me yeah. looking at that risk profile. And I feel like in Queensland, there's been there's so many active stakeholders i think that that has been a major feeder for getting to this point of enormous volume Mm. and complexity because the state government from an outsider's point and i'm I'm no lawyer Mm. they appear to be trying to please everyone (laughs) and in doing that again it's it's probably good for the lawyers to have that mm-hmm. specificity. Mm-hmm. That's a hard yeah. one to say. Yeah. Uh, but so previous discussions you've had here, mm. uh, and uh, as, as I said, I, I did my study before I came here today. Yeah. Uh, I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast. Yeah. But listening to Chris Irons and Frank Higginson say that the potential for complete compliance with the laws is virtually impossible due to its oh. prescriptive nature. And I believe in life, a fair and reasonable test in everything is fair and reasonable mm-hmm. and that is what's the intent behind what we're doing and i think the example around you know i think chris said notice if someone gets a notice 20 or 19 days mm-hmm. and it's 21 days did everyone still get the notice is it exactly. fair and reasonable but opposed to that you interviewed ross anderson mm-hmm. and as someone representing lot owners his take was managers must be strictly abiding by what's in the legislation mm-hmm. and I, I thought that was it was quite telling about where we're at, at as, as an industry if mm-hmm. those that are those that know the legislation and know those that are, are dealing 
dealing with it. I mean, the commissioner's office, mm. they're the ones saying, yes, for sure, you need to comply, but there's a limit within which it's not reasonable to expect full compliance due to the mm. complexity. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, mm. the, the owner's association is saying, but we expect full compliance. And there seems to be, again, diametrically opposed views on the expectations of what managers can and will do for their fees and all the while there's this push to reduce managers fees in in an ever-growing compliance environment and I just see this enormous tug of war where managers seem to be becoming more competitive and pushing their fees down all the while the expectation from the customer is going through the roof Mm. and meanwhile you have those in the know saying the legislation is so broad so complex we can't expect you to cover everything it's just it's just not possible and that it does make me think something's got to something's got to give well i guess as a strata manager you nowadays you're expected to wear many hats Mm. you are expected to know about the accountancy aspect the workplace health and safety be expert on various specific pieces of legislation fire legislation and the law and administration it's a very complex multifaceted role and probably not for everyone but it's accessible to everyone when there's a platform that can offer the necessary training Again, the Cert 4 does that. But what are you seeing in the industry nowadays to bring it to the next level? Obviously, technology is a big thing, but and further education, another one, maybe licensing. What do you see is the biggest factor, though? Affecting the industry in the way that strata managers operate. So we've got this um, rising compliance environment and expectations on managers rising. And you've got on the other side of the business and looking at what's happening broadly, Macquarie Bank forecast many years ago, there'd be significant consolidation in the strata management sector. Mm. That is big fish eating little fish and just becoming a larger corporate entity. What that is resulting is broadly, and that's not putting everyone in the same bucket, is the service proposition for customers is becoming homogenised and Mm. systemised and the personal service aspect of the business is probably going by the wayside a little. And again, Mm. not in every case, but this does directly translate to the experience of people living in these schemes and what they require out of their managers and what the manager is actually able to provide in light of everything that's happening and this enormous pressure that's building and and I still and that's probably one where I might cut because I don't think I've actually got to the point of your question. <laughs> no, no, you're right. Certainly from a body corporate manager's perspective, mm-hmm. and and I can speak from personal experience in operating MBCS, and our goal is obviously to offer a, a very hands-on service, a high-level service mm-hmm. to our clients. But that's a challenge when you're dealing with all the different types of body corporates out there. The small ones have often a high expectation. Sometimes they've got a low expectation. Mm. The big buildings can actually be very easy to run because the economies of scale mean that you're dealing with, you know, a certain handful of issues, but across many lots. So it makes sense to do that. What are the challenges then for a manager to offer the a particular level of service? Mm. That's a great point. And look, one of the things I regularly say to the students in the program is, strata schemes and when i say that i mean owners corporation body corporate community scheme for for Mm. the people that are listening in other states Mm. they are an ecosystem you can have 10 properties that are identical in form and they could all run very differently to each other and so the manager needs to be in a position to cater their delivery somewhat to keep those clients Mm. happy and i have seen over time that i believe in the long term there will be a pull towards managers specializing it's already happening anyway but but as far as the training goes the requirements of 
looking after a high rise are infinitely different to looking after a four pack mm. in the back streets yeah. uh, with four resident owners. And I've witnessed this in my role and seeing the way these different communities operate and their dynamic has been eye-opening and fascinating and very, very enjoyable. Uh, but this is where you have the clash in what's happening in the industry with the consolidation and you know mass provision of what I'd call pretty generic service yeah. from a lot of the bigger companies is sort of coming at loggerheads where these clients are expecting quality service. The bigger ones are paying a lot of money and managers are being burdened with large portfolios. I think it may be improving nationally. I'm not sure in Queensland what the dynamic mm-hmm. is, but a key factor here is how many customers is a manager looking after in the first yeah. place and how does that work out? And in that regard, 10, 15 years ago, there'd be a situation where a manager would look after 1,200 lots without a doubt. And that is a key part of the puzzle. How many lots and schemes does a manager have and how are they able to service those clients? Mm. And that then breaks out into a far more complex conversation around if it's a small business, do they have the ability to service everyone? Mm. No, you can't You can't make everyone happy. Yeah. What's our service level that we're providing? And I myself, in my time running the business, I would say that I was, if you thought of the industry service in this regard, think number one is the highest possible level of customer service. Number 10 is what I'd call, might be a bit harsh, cold-hearted business. So Mm. a pure focus on what are the numbers, how much money are we making, how many clients are we losing, how many staff are we losing, are we making more money? So if that's 1 to 10, I would say the solution and what people are looking for in the industry is probably a 3. And and when I say what people are looking for, of course customers are looking for number 1, but the Mm. reality is there's a cost that comes with number 1, and I know that because I've been there, and burnout factor for managers is real, and I see it day to day. In the training, I see managers within the first two years of their industry enrolling in the Cert 4, and they'll just drop off the radar, and Mm. it's because they don't work there anymore, because they've had enough of those pressures, and a key discussion around that is what's the environment, what's the workload, and this all does funnel down to how much are the managers charging for their services, because ultimately, if the fees are low, the manager needs to look after more clients to be financially viable. And so I know that where I come from, I can't help talking about Victoria because initially it's where I come from. There has been a push in the industry to get managers to not race to the bottom for fees because that will not benefit anyone, including the customers. Yeah, It would be an, end up in a situation where the constant churn of staff in offices will get worse, the retention of clients will go through the floor, and no owner within a strata scheme wants to see a new manager every six months. It's interesting discussion when you talk about fees because the typical way that uh, body corporate managers here in Queensland will charge for fees and work out the fees is on a per lot basis. So they might charge anywhere from 130 per lot to 170 per lot. Mm. But let's just say they pick 130 and a competitor comes in at 110. Mm. That's $20 per lot difference Mm. from a manager that will offer a very high level of service to one that will offer more of a budget service. Mm. So when owners break it down then for $20 per annum and you're getting Rolls-Royce service, they don't always see it that way, do they? No, and you're talking about $5 every three months. And I know that this is a topic you discussed with Frank around, I think he said that maybe the word may have been ludicrous or something along those Mm. lines as far as how low the the fees are for the service (laughs) that's being provided and what's required of the managers. And it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable for those working in the industry 
and these customers aren't going to get the service they need mm-hmm. and want if the managers are in a position where they need to look after an enormous portfolio to earn their $60,000 a year, whatever the wages are mm-hmm. for strata managers, because you've got all of those other pressures which are playing in there. Without a doubt, there is a, in the strata industry in Queensland, there's a, there's a heavier pressure on the approach to cost and how much managers are charging. And for the sake of saving a couple of bucks, I think everyone loses ultimately. It's almost a self-sabotage, isn't it? Uh, and uh, perhaps a slight lack of regard for your own service um, if you're charging such a low fee. And this all keys back into resilience of managers. I was very lucky in the final five years of running the business down in Melbourne, we retained 99% of our clients over a five-year period, mm. which is a fact oh. that I'm extremely proud of. Yeah. But coming back to the point I made earlier, I made mistakes. And I think everyone needs to be able to assess what they've done, look at what they've done right and what they've done wrong. And I over-serviced my clients for where my price point was. I was so invested in giving everyone the service that I myself would want that I went well past the call of what I should have been doing to my to the detriment of my health. And that keys into the discussion around burnout in the industry, and I've, I've been there. And I love the industry, but those outside of this discussion, and for example, just a lot of owners might say, oh, he's just looking to increase how much money strata managers are making. And to that I'd say, no, I'm looking to help everyone live in a better community through having an ongoing relationship with your strata manager, there's a massive advantage to building a long-term relationship in the industry between the owners, the committee, the chairman and the manager, or having that revolving door of new people through every six months. Mm. And the way that these schemes operate and uh, the shared knowledge that you will build up over that period of time, there are just endless benefits to maintaining your staff and maintaining your clients. And despite people not liking the point, it comes down to cost. If Mm. you just don't have the dollars to pay your managers a wage that they deserve, They'll go elsewhere. And look, I think um, it boils down to two points then. Managing expectations of lot owners Mm. and committees out there. What's the level of service that they want and what's the price point that it should be at? And secondly, it's for body corporate managers to really assess, okay, well, what level of service do we want to deliver? And let's stick to that price point. And let's not let a manager who's going to come in at $90 per lot derail the level of service and the stress on our staff because we believe it's $145 per lot and when you think about the price difference per lot it's negligible across a year so I guess my message to managers would be stick to your price point don't sabotage the industry and also ensure that if you're offering a particular level of service that they know the client knows that's the service they're going to get and stick to it be true to it and for this to work it needs to be adopted by everyone in the industry and even saying that if you have the odd manager that's coming in for $90 a lot $100 a lot I'll guarantee you they probably won't last longer than three years because it's not sustainable so in that business model they'd be looking after maybe close to 2,000 lots to meet their clients expectations from the financial point of view or they're or they're living on the smell of an oily rag and they're Mm. they're paying themselves $35,000 a year which in the cost of living today is absolutely nothing Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's just yeah it comes back to that point it's just not sustainable Mm. and I think people need to look past price and the point that Ross Anderson made in his podcast with you was he likes to run the Harvey Norman test and Mm. I sort of had a wry smile when I heard Mm -hmm. that because Harvey Norman is under extreme pressure at the moment Mm. because of the race to the bottom on price so his his business is suffering and I would actually say across the board it's not just strata it's a trend across the board where there's price competition you know there's far more businesses moving into Australia and pushing down prices everyone's going to suffer people are Mm. going to make less money customer service is going to go through the floor 
and it's something that we need to band together as an industry. And I'm not suggesting that we overcharge our clients. I think just a fair and reasonable charge is is where it's at. Otherwise, uh, I don't see the current problems around staff churn, maintaining clients mm. on, your, on your books. I don't see that changing. If anything, it will get worse. Yeah. So really, it's incumbent on the body corporate manager then to develop efficiencies. That's through the use of technology and also ensure that uh, they are clear on their level of service. Mm. But they look after their staff too. Mm. Uh, because like you say, staff turnover is very disruptive, not only to the manager, but to the body corporate. And holding on to good people is key in the industry. Mm. Um, I was speaking with Tim McKenzie from Macquarie years ago, and they had all the data. They did benchmarking surveys over a period of years. And I believe even in a smaller business, if you lose a key staff member, I think it might have been something like two or two and a half years to recover from loss of a key staff member, mm. which is really significant. And I understand that there are bigger firms out there that can just absorb that sort of situation, but there are also a lot of people running small businesses with mm-hmm. you know, two to six employees. And if you have someone walk out the door on the spot, um, it can take an enormous time to recover. And this comes back to that earlier point around there being no previous pathway into the industry. In my position running the business in the past, I couldn't find people that knew what to do. Mm-hmm. because there was no strata managers out there. So we're in this situation where we had customers coming into the door saying, please help us, we need a manager. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find people to work in the industry, um, either the right personality and fit with the right emotional intelligence to be effective in their role, yeah. or just zero experience. And in the case of zero experience, my view is it honestly takes to give really good quality service it takes two years to really get someone flying to the point where they can be autonomous and that's a manager that you can trust will hold on to the clients the customers will be happy so on and so forth and Mm. that sort of connects to that whole discussion around what makes a good manager and one part is knowing what to do in the industry as far as just the frameworks go and I think that's where the cert for feel the need to give this foundational knowledge around legislation and finances and budgets and insurance but then there's the other side around who are they What are they like? Are they the right fit for the industry? And I think that strata managers, there are certain personality types that are well suited to the industry. And and to be brutal, there are personality types that aren't. Mm Because I've seen it in my business where you almost, to put it in a blunt way, you need to be able to take a hit without wanting to retaliate. So Mm -hmm. you need to be a balanced person that can see why people are upset and stay calm and deal with these because when people are aggravated if you've got a staff member that's going to fly off the handle or get aggressive which it can be human nature for some Mm -hmm. people um that's not going to win well for anyone well that takes a lot of emotional intelligence then doesn't it for a manager and also and i've said it before in other interviews the manager's really a facilitator a conduit for things that they can't handle that that aren't in their role to be able to refer things on and that's a risk mitigation thing as well mm-hmm. but also to be able to have systems in place that are effective and efficient mm-hmm. to meet the client's needs and then coupling that with the proper staff that can handle that and they have the right temperament and EQ and all of that to, mm-hmm. to work that. And it's interesting that there are some factors here at play and at the moment I'm not sure which way <laughs> it will pull and there was that earlier discussion on consolidation in the industry mm-hmm. and homogenization of service that's being provided by some of the larger management companies and again some are doing a great job but in my experience of picking up new clients a lot of them came from the bigger firms because of their structures and the way that things were working so you've got this situation where I suspect I wouldn't want it to, to be the case but I suspect that in the longer term it's going to be extremely difficult maybe not even in the longer term right now mm. for a smaller firm to meet all of their obligations because managers are going to need to get special skills to service certain clients 
Managers should specialise in large buildings, medium, small, commercial, whereas in the past, a manager would look after everything. And so this drive for specialising in certain aspects of the business because strata managements are ecosystems and what they require from them, their managers is very different. I've been lucky to work in a role where I looked after an enormous amount of schemes with an average amount of lots and then I've worked in a role with a very low amount of schemes, five, with the same amount of lots and to see the different requirements. So they all operate under the same legislation but what they required of the manager was entirely different and it's interesting, interesting that the role looking after a high number of schemes was far harder Mm. They're looking after lesser schemes with more lots. So that is a manager that looks yeah. after five schemes of high-rise or they look after 90 schemes of average of nine lots. And those smaller companies that are trying to do everything, they're just I think they might buckle under the pressure mm. because the requirements upon managers is just going to keep on going up. That's not going to change. And I'm lucky that I'm in a position where through the my transition into the industry, the legislative burden was quite low at the start Mm. you know there wasn't too much to it and over that time I've seen the transition into this environment where it's just growing and growing and growing and I've seen the change so you pick up uh, managers that have been in the industry for 10 or 15 years they would have been through that sort of coalface experience where they have to deal with every aspect of the building that's just not possible for people stepping into the industry today you can't be a maintenance manager handle claims deal with disputes not supposed to giving legal advice Mm. um, you know attending committee meetings dealing with rogue owners chasing debts Mm. you just and the only situation i can see working there is the larger companies having segregated duties amongst their office where they have their maintenance department financials accounts admin reception so on and so forth and that's playing back into that idea around managers needing to specialize in a specific aspect and one of the things i felt I did right when I ran my business was the segregation of duties. Mm -hmm. We, We were separated into reception, admin, accounts, maintenance, strata managers. And so all a strata manager needed to do was deal with a client and they would farm out the maintenance requirements to the maintenance manager. They would farm out the accounting requirements to the account staff. And from the client's point of view, the manager was still doing all those things, but behind the scenes, it was those separate people doing those roles Mm. and then coming back to the manager. And that sort of model is what I think we're going to be looking at in the future. It's necessary to Mm. succeed. Mm. Otherwise, once again, the manager's going to buckle. Otherwise, you have to have pretty much every staff member being an expert across everything, which is not sustainable. I think you need a couple of those people in an organisation. You need to have a couple that able to look at every aspect of the business mm. and be able to give expert advice in those areas and that's probably a luxury but but you've got a role that's expanding and you've got um, some managers that are dabbling in the property development consultancy and uh, body corporate establishment you've got ones that are providing for expert reports mm. like um, valuations of various kinds um, and fire and expansion into uh, defect uh, mm. building defect matters so on the one hand we've got uh, homogenizing of service but mm. then an expansion of the scope mm, that's uh, right which is an interesting uh, development. What plays into this is, we've said in the past, there's no way of all of these staff understanding the true extent of what they're looking at without just working in the job. And that's where what we're doing right now Mm. plays a key part into educating people in the industry to talk about when are you going past that point? When do you need to look at your specialised advisors, your engineers, your building consultants, your insurance valuers, all those other people? Because it's not clear for someone starting out, when am I going past that line in the sand that I shouldn't be going? Because that's mm. And that's one of the key roles for a manager and that's why having those experienced people above them, if you yeah. can, to say, no, don't go any further than this. Your clients need to be engaging X and Y person.
person. And the use of project managers to look after building works in my time was essential to success and risk mitigating for our clients as, as one example of looking at managers uh, splitting out their role and just acting as that conduit that you mentioned before mm-hmm. to pass on the client's needs and requirements to the right people and you are right that really the manager's role may come back to being simply a conduit you still need to have mm. a certain level of knowledge and expertise yeah. and that knowledge and expertise will be who do we work with to fix this and that discussion works well for larger schemes it'll be interesting for small schemes due, yeah. to, due to the economies of scale where yeah. a high-rise of 400 lots can afford to engage a project manager if they're replacing the carpet mm. if you've got a block of eight they're going to kick and scream about it mm. because of the cost. Divide a cost by 300 or divide it by eight and mm. you'd be paying a lot more in a small development. And mm. this, once again, plays into that discussion around the different beasts within strata yeah. where you're looking at high-rise, low-rise, small. And they're very different too. Um, they come in all different shapes and sizes, so mm. they're complexities that the manager needs to deal with. There's a high expectation on the client, the committee member, who says, well, why can't you tell me what the legal position is on maintenance of this particular area? Why can't you do that? Mm. Um, well, the manager will say, okay, well, I probably can, but I'm a bit scared to, because if I'm wrong, then guess what's going to happen? Mm. You're going to come after me. No, that's right. That's um, right. So, but that means cost. So there's this thirst to save on cost and put it on the manager, and the manager needs to be brave enough to either stick to their guns and say this has to be referred, be able to provide skillful information without crossing the line. Yeah, sure. And it's really interesting that looking at that role of people putting pressure on the manager to be everything to everyone, on that point, you can't be everything to everyone, despite that being some people's expectations and handling those (laughs) expectations can be quite difficult. Once again, national view, it's really interesting to see with the management rights discussion, this is relevant to this point. My perception is that the focus on the managers is actually spread in Queensland because the resident caretaker takes so many of the day-to-day issues in dealing with tenants. It's really interesting in other states, the manager is the be-all and end-all because management rights are a rarer beast. Whereas here, having the split between the two, it is at least farming out some of those requirements to the resident caretaker. Offsetting the pressure that would ordinarily be on the manager, say, Mm. in another state. How do you deliver that advice to upcoming students? Yeah, and see, that's the... It is extremely tricky because if every strata scheme is its own ecosystem, the same advice doesn't apply to every client. Mm, That's true. (laughs) So we can point them to the frameworks under the legislation. Best practice from the industry body is something Mm. that we point to quite a lot. I myself have my own opinion on what best practice is. Not all of them align with the industry body. And at the end of the day, everyone runs their businesses their own way. Maybe one key example for me nationally individual bank accounts. I believe there is no reason for managers to run pooled accounts and that's an opinion that I hold and it varies depending on where you are in Australia. Mm. Uh, but we're now in a, in a time where the software for strata managers is so good that there's no burden in running individual bank accounts. Mm. All it's doing is giving clients greater disclosure on yeah. what's going on account by account. And you know, there's one example of my own approach to strata is my best practice is individual bank accounts mm. are vital to give your clients sort of the, the ethical approach to accounting and take away any of the uh, the mist around the 
financial practices of being the manager because I know something that Ross Anderson brought up was maybe scepticism around managers handling money and mm. um, looking at the fact that pooled accounts and taking interest off pooled accounts, that the whole idea around that could easily be re- rectified by managers running single bank accounts mm. as a best practice. So we come back to um, continuing to enhance education mm. and really advocating for a licensing regime Mm. for managers in Queensland, which might set minimum standards, not only for service, but for cost as well, and maybe provide a scale of costs that managers could work with as a starting point, as a minimum starting point. And that would, perhaps unethical, I would Mm. put it, unethical competitive conduct um, Mm. of some managers in tendering for schemes Mm. that uh, know they can't offer the service. And that's the whole point is that with the exception of now New South Wales, I believe ACT and Northern Territory, with there being no licensing requirements, there is no minimum bar for entry on who a manager can be, what they know and what they do. And this is why the licensing piece is just so vital, is that if you know what you're doing, you can go into the Cert 4, an experienced manager should be able to fly through it. So if someone's been in the industry for more than two years, they would have run meetings, they would have been involved with committees, financial statements, budgets, insurance dispute resolution, maybe they would have been to the commissioner's office and dealt with conciliation, mediation, and with those accrued skills, they should be able to fly through the Cert 4. So so really, doing the Cert 4, even if you're in the industry Mm. and haven't done it yet, will firstly give you a very good base knowledge. Mm. Again, it will act as a refresher, it will give you ideas on best practice, it will give you formal qualifications that you can put and show your clients that you are qualified and um, also allow you to put back some of that best practice into the organisation that you're working in and share that with your other staff as well and build up the industry. That's right, that's right. And it creates accountability. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And that's what's missing from the industry now is they're ultimately for the states that don't have a licensing regime, there's no accountability for yeah. managers. Everyone's being trusted that they do the right thing. And whilst the peak industry body has membership in their code of conduct, managers aren't obliged to be members of SCA. I'm, yeah. I'm a member of SCA, yeah. but it's from the point of view of enforcement, it's a, it's a bit of a toothless tiger because the only real measure will be licensing and repercussions of being in breach of your duties as a manager. And there'll be real percussions. You'll lose your license. You can't act as a manager anymore. The industry body doesn't have the power to revoke licenses. And maybe that's a, that's a piece, and I don't know a lot of detail about about the real estate framework and whether or not the industry body is being part of that can be involved in discussions around ethical practices and dealing with real estate agents that don't do the right thing. Can they lose their licence? And what's, the, and what's the framework? And the answer is yes, they can lose their licence. Yeah. I guess much like New South Wales, um, uh, taking uh, the Fair Trading Office um, a starting point mm. for the regime. I think Queensland can learn a lot from that. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, uh, Derek, on these matters. And and look, I don't think this will be the first time we sit down again and discuss these. I'm sure we'll we'll come back again and we'll talk more in depth about uh, the educational aspect. I think RMIT and your Cert 4 are doing a magnificent job and I personally would highly recommend it to any manager out there or Uh, someone thinking that they want to go into the management uh, industry as a good platform to that professional um, career. We now have an entry point and uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Let's Talk Strata podcast. For your fortnightly dose of Strata insights, stimulating discussion with leading Strata professionals and to catch up on previous episodes, subscribe to the podcast through letstalkstrata.com.au.